welcome to Hot Weekly. Hello, everyone. I'm Jonathan. I'm Crystal. And this is Haunt Weekly, a weekly podcast from Haunted Attraction, Haunted Entertainment Community, whether you're an actor, owner, or just plain aficionado. We aim to be a podcast for you, but not this week. No, this, this week is special. This week is special. Every time, every year these months come around, we try to take a few episodes just to do stuff that we want to do. It can be crazy. It can be off the wall. And through a series of wild happenstance. Yes. Is the only way to describe it. We've been given the opportunity to interview a man who has made our anti-Christmas list so much brighter over the years. Um, we are very happy to be sitting down with the legendary George Patience of the song I Hate Christmas. Easily one of the best anti-Christmas songs of all time. George, are you there? I'm right here, Jonathan. Thank you for having me on your show. And I just want to wish the best for the holiday season to all your listeners. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, uh, first things first, for clarity's sake, uh, is George Patience your stage name or is it also your given name, quote unquote given name? Well, we'll just go with George Patience. That's fair enough. <laughs> the mystery. I like it. All right. So, George, I want to kind of start at the beginning. What got you started in music? What uh, made that be something well, you could do? I started playing the accordion when I was about five years old. And I was also composing tunes. I got very uh, accomplished at it. I was doing some classical things on the accordion. And then I dropped it for a while. And uh, But I've always enjoyed music. I could write and read music at the time. And I always came up with songs. I was very much uh, amored with the Beatles and uh, the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin. And uh, years later... As I was, uh, you know, uh, living on my own, I got myself some synthesizers and did a little home recording and put together a few few songs. And when I was younger, I also had a little polka band, and uh, it was a four-piece. And I used to do bar mitzvahs and uh, weddings and things like that, personal parties. You know, they'd, we'd always be the op- opening act, but I really enjoyed the 20 bucks I got as a kid. <laughs> yeah, well, seeing the I Hate Christmas video, that is not where I thought this was going to start. No. And also, I think you maybe you and Weird Al Yankovic may be the only two musicians I know who got started on the accordion. So, Well, that's because my parents didn't want to have to move around a piano. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah. So, wow. So you started... With the, the accordion. Yes. And then went into, and then, like, we know you today for I Hate Christmas. What happened in between? How did, how did your career evolve? Well, the, I, I was bouncing around. I was living, uh, I was born in Chicago, but I was living, I was raised in Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh. And for all intents and purposes, I was a Canadian. And I would travel to Los Angeles. I was doing art. And I'd go to the comic cons and show my paintings. And then at one point I came down to visit some friends. I was actually, uh, my, I grew up with, with a, an actor. I don't know if you're familiar with him. His name is Michael J. Fox. And he'd been <laughs> on the couple, And then we, we, I stayed with Michael. I lived with him and I used to take him to auditions. I considered myself a little bit of an entrepreneur. I got into doing some things on the stock market. And then I decided to say that, hey, I could I could go ahead and do some some things in the in the entertainment industry because I loved painting, I loved art, I loved music, and I thought this would be my shot. And um, at one point, I had a roommate, and he his name was Don Costa, and uh, he played with a guy named Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> during Speak of the Devil. Yeah. And I one day, this is a true story. We're sitting out by the pool by the apartment at night. And Don wouldn't talk to me very much. He was very much his own private guy. So, I mean, literally through the week, 
maybe we'd say three words to each other. Mm-hmm. And Don was sitting there, this is in the, at night, and a cat walks by. Don kicks the cat lightly <laughs> into the pool, sort of nudges it into the pool. The cat does three leaps on top of the water and jumps out of the pool. I was sitting next, a little ways away from him. I look at him, and he breaks out into a big laugh. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and he starts laughing. And ever since then, we were good friends. <laughs> yeah. But he went on tour with Ozzy during Speak of the Devil. And <clears throat> one of the things that, excuse me, one of the things that I found interesting was uh, his his recording, his bass playing, and the way he plucked his bass. He was renowned for having a cheese grater on the back of his bass where he'd uh, use it to uh, shred his knuckles and his abs and he'd bleed into the audience. But Bob, but Don's big claim to fame was that he he was the uh, co-founder of a band called Great White, which I don't know you're familiar with. Yeah. Yes. And he actually left Great White to play with Ozzy. Huh. And during that period of time, I went ahead and started put together my own little group with Lewis McCorkle and Jamie Sutton. <laughs> and it was patience and being George patience. And I, I considered myself somewhat of a solo act, but at that time, my girlfriend was a girl named uh, Jamie Dudley. And her, her, her uh, gig was, she manages a band called uh, Guns N' Roses, Tracy Guns and Axl Rose. Uh-huh. And, um, and she also helped finance them. And so we'd all get together. And on, on more than one occasion, I would fish Axl out of the dumpster behind the Rainbow Bar and Grill on Sunset Boulevard. And a couple of times, I paid the rent for those guys in their apartment where they were staying. And then sometimes we would play together. So there was a, uh, a loose association, but because of Don being with Ozzy and them just starting out, it was quite the, you know, it was, it was a nice tight knit group of people. And we all sort of, sort of looked up to each other. Right. And at that time, uh, uh, Tracy and Axel were, were sort of getting along but they wrote a couple of great tunes and it's unfortunate that Tracy didn't stay with the band, but I will tell it, put it to you this way. He did get paid seven, uh, seven figures to walk away. <laughs> gotcha. But, but, okay. but he, okay. So that was, that was the beginning of that, but Tracy actually played on the EP. And that brings me to the point that everyone thinks that there was just, I Hate Christmas, the single. It was on a cassette EP. There was a 45 vinyl with a B-side with a guitar solo on the back of it. And it was aired. It got played on some radio stations on the East Coast in the Midwest. Uh-huh. And that's without any promotion, just for me selling my selling the 45s out of the back of the, the Cadillac. <laughs> I had a 76 convertible Cadillac that I was living in uh, on and off when I w- was recording and then actually shooting the video and just, just in the middle of shooting the video, the uh, Cadillac had an accident. Uh, I was staying at couch surfing and uh, Nick Nolte's niece ended up pulling the keys off out of my pocket. She was drunk. She was trying to go to the Seven Eleven, and she hit a parked car, a parked truck oh. flatbed. And it totaled my, my ride didn't do any damage to the flatbed and it was it was i'll put it to you this way it just sort of put me into the mood and this was just before christmas to actually put an underline on the on the hate part of christmas (laughs) yeah so that kind of leads into the, the song itself what was the inspiration where did the idea for this come from yeah well, back then, to say something like "I hate Christmas" was not really, uh, pardon the word, kosher, especially <laughs> in Hollywood. And but, 
because of the fact that it was a great time of year for marketing and marketers and everybody made their big bottom line, went into the black during Christmas. So from a commercial aspect, that was already a negative. And just saying that was sort of sacrilegious at the time. Right. I loved it when when Scrooge said it in um, in the movie, and I loved it when uh, the Grinch said it, and that always stuck with me. And as I was getting older, I was seeing the commercialism of Christmas, and I thought, man, we got to do something about it. And the funny thing is, when I was recording this, I was recording some other songs too. And actually, what I had planned to do as a forty-five single at the time was a cover tune of Donny Osmond's Puppy Love. And there's a recording of that out there somewhere as well. But I, but I also had the, the, I was going to put the B side, I hate Christmas, but everybody loved, I hate Christmas so much. And we're listening to it in the studio that we forgot about the puppy love and went ahead and gone, went with the, I hate Christmas. I also was looking at it from a commercial aspect myself that, Hey, maybe somebody will feel the way I do and I'll be able to sell a few 45s. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and <coughs> so that was the, that was the aspect that I felt that a lot of people felt the way I did. That hey, you know, the stress of Christmas was just too much, and I put this out like a a, a release valve to take some of the pressure off of people, so they could look at it, think about it, and then laugh about it a little bit, and then you know, sort of move on and not feel burdened by the fact that they hate Christmas or they dislike the holiday and the pressure of the holiday, but they have nobody to share it with or say it. So a lot of people were thinking it, but not a lot of people were saying it. And I just gave that platform to them, I guess. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. And that's very much why we do the anti-Christmas music list, right? which includes songs like I hate Christmas is it's pressure. I mean, a tries to kill you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but so I'm I'm allergic to the uh, the live greenery that people bring inside. So I'm badly allergic. <laughs> but um, badly allergic, Chris, Crystal. I'm also allergic to it, but for another reason. I just don't like chopping down trees. So my idea like of <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like you know, hey, you're gonna celebrate something by killing something. Uh, yeah. No. I, I prefer to, you know, have a living Christmas tree, put it outside, or if you have a tree growing out in front, decorate that and put the presents around that, you know. Yeah. Plus, yeah, cool. it's dangerous to have a tree in your house, too. And yeah. we all hear yeah. that, One you know. of the songs on our, our list is called Christmas Trees on Fire. It's all about how dangerous it is to have a Christmas tree. <laughs> I know. That, that, that's getting way dark and really, really on the, on the edge. You know, you guys <laughs> like some really scary stuff. <laughs> uh yeah. Well we, we do have a haunted house. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes. Um so is there anything else that I can tell you about uh you know some trivia of I hate Christmas? Yes. Okay, go for it. Um, um well Tracy played on the EP and the songs that were on that EP and it was a cassette. If you can find one, maybe one of your listeners out there can track one down. And that we was they would be most likely to exist. If so it's out be. there, that they may find somebody who's got one. And it was uh, there was a, I hate Christmas A side B side, and the B side had the the uh, guitar solo instead of the sax solo. And it, it was a forty five with a silver label with old English lettering. So if somebody sees one in a bin somewhere, that's what it looked like. And then there was naughty uh, there was on the cassette there was naughty little angel. Christmas in July, both of those are great songs. On uh, Naughty Little Angel, uh, Tracy Guns played, and, and he, he became famous with his own band, L.A. Guns. I'm sure you've heard of him. Yeah. And, yes. then, uh, and then there was a real, really cool 12-string uh, uh, version, acoustic uh, green sleeves that I did, which was really, really cool. And that was how I ended out that EP. And again, you know, it was, uh, and on the video, you know, I don't know if you, if you notice, but the, uh, little people that are in the video, 
One of them is yeah. named Joe Gieb. And Joe's been on a lot of big films. Uh, Strange Science was one of them. And then I believe he was in, <laughs> excuse me, he was on uh, Danny Elfman's videos as well, and Ozzy's. Wow. And also yeah. on tour, when they went on tour with their stage shows, which yeah, is so really that, interesting. That leads neatly into the, about the video. So one of the things that always struck me is that video looks, I mean, MTV only debuted three years before that video, basically. Right. Um, that was a very well done, professionally made video, especially for that time. I mean, I'm well, sorry. Thank you very much. Thank but still, we were, we were an early MTV. Yeah, thank you for 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 noticing it. Um, well, I wrote it, directed it, co-directed it. My director of photography, uh, a great guy, uh, Gary Ashton, and Gary was an editor at KTLA TV. So basically, what I did is I put up together some money and rented the basic lighting package and a Aeroflex sixteen. And I said, hey, you know what? I, if it's going to be time, I'm going to do it. Now, when I did it, I did it all using a pocket full of quarters and a pay and a payphone booth as my office, and using the the Cadillac to move stuff around and get I things hear together. Listeners don't know what payphone is. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> No, yeah, the listeners don't know what a payphone is. That's when you had to put quarters into the machine so that you could talk on the phone. <laughs> right, because you didn't have one in your pocket. They were, they were not. No, it wasn't. It, yeah, this was really a labor of love. But I was able to knock it out. I remember cutting the AB negative, gluing it all together. Then I remember trading uh, uh, this 35 millimeter camera I had to do some color correction. Then I took it up. To 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 uh, Little Mountain Sound up in uh, Vancouver, and they're editing their their uh, video editing bays, and I you put it on a Rembrandt, and I did some color correction. Then I brought it back. But speaking of MTV, and this is this is a true story too. As I was filming this, I was getting like calls from uh, the president of MTV. I don't know if you're familiar with. Video killed the radio star. He was he was the president yeah. of MTV, and he would he called me several times saying, "Please, can I have your video to show? We don't have any Christmas stuff on MTV." I ran back I to the lawyer who was who was sort of representing me at the time. His name was Richard Lair, who became head of Hollywood Pictures. I asked, mm -hmm. and I, he was introduced to me by David Roth. Okay, great. So he said, no, don't give it to him because you want to have a record deal first or you want to have some product out there so that you can sell some things. Now, that could have maybe changed the trajectory if I would have just gave him that and then played catch up from the back end. But MTV really wanted it. But it's ironic because it gets played on the Canadian MTV every year. Oh. Interesting. And, and on the Canadian news programs, including the ones in, in French and in Quebec. So at, <laughs> that's where I have a little bit of a following. And it, it goes even further than, than that. I mean, I can get into some deeper stuff as to when it was first playing on MTV. Unfortunately, I had gotten arrested. I was in jail and I would call friends, collect, and they all they wanted to talk about in Canada was that I was on TV <laughs> and I'm asking them <laughs> to go ahead and contact people for me. And they, they were like oblivious to my situation. All they could say <laughs> is that they saw me on TV. Okay. <laughs> and this is at Christmas time, but I did do, but I did become somewhat of a celebrity while I was my short stay there. And the little warden of the, of the facility, was really impressed when I got all the the, in, the inmates to put together a 12 days of Christmas in this particular facility. And this was in <laughs> Washington state and they videotaped it and they, and they used it as their Christmas song inside of the prison. And I guess they took it to, you know, home to show how uh, grateful and thankful the prisoners were <laughs> during the wow. Christmas holiday season. 
But that was just one part of it. I know that I'm sort of skipping from from aspect to aspect, but after after all of this happened, I was I went back to Los Angeles when I was released. I went back to Los Angeles and um, Shep Gordon wanted to, to possibly sign me. He was one of the first people who contacted me. And if you're familiar with Shep, uh, he did Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. And actually co-wrote uh, a lot of the songs. And then the other person who was really interested in me that I was actually, you know, supposed to be signed to was um, from the band Kiss. <laughs> and uh, you, you know, Gene and Gene uh, actually yeah. wanted to sign me to his label. And I remember being in his Rolls Royce with him listening to the I Hate Christmas video. Now, if that doesn't get any any weirder, it does, because uh, after not after that whole scenario, my girlfriend at the time got pregnant, and then I had to become a family man, so to speak, and get a you know quote unquote real job. So off I go, and I went into uh, entertainment from an executive position because I could understand how I was like you had enjoyed watching my video well i had an innate talent to be able to do that kind of thing and be able to mix business and art and sort of walk that fine line and do the translation and i went on to work for a company called interactive telemedia and then i became president of their entertainment division um but during this period of time i ended up going to do a a a show in, in vegas and next thing you know I'm getting a call saying, hey, there's a band that wants to cover your tune. They're from Australia. You know, will you license them to do your tune? And that was a band from Australia, not the Jersey band Whiplash, but the Australian band called Whiplash. And they paid me and also paid me a consulting fee to, to spend the, you know, a week with them in, in L.A., while they were shooting their video of I Hate Christmas. Now, their album was produced by Tammy Downs from Faster Pussycat. And I don't know if you're familiar with Faster Pussycat. But uh, he produced that album for Whiplash. And the the founder of that band, was his name's Jason Doyle. He's living in Queensland now, and he's got a very uh, successful hot sauce company called uh, Hot as Hell or, or Made in Hell or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and that was his band. Now, when uh, Jason uh, had the video uh, produced, he, a girl named Melissa was actually the one who was setting up to direct it. But she had never directed anything in her life. Her claim at that time to, to fame and fortune was she was Mick Jagger's girlfriend. And since she was going to do the video, she was living with Mick and she was playing my song to Mick every single day. And I heard through, <laughs> through them that he hated my song so badly, he never wanted to hear it again. Okay, so, and then during the filming of this, she had someone help her, which was, who was actually directing, and I worked with him, I was there with him, was Ridley, Ridley Scott. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he does some pretty scary stuff. So Ridley did that video, and I don't know if you got a copy of it, I think I had sent you one at one point, texted you a link. To that video, but that is uh, just a copy off of a copy from someone taking it off the TV screen. Now I don't know if it's still on rotation in Australia or not, but that was the one that was done with all the bells and whistles, and that was a big, expensive production. Now the one I did, believe me, I spent less than four or five thousand dollars on that while uh-huh. I was living in the car total, and that's like a multi-day shoot. And I would uh, trade out, like, doing, you know, being a janitor in the bar and cleaning up their place at closing time for a week so that I could use it to film in, in the bar scenes. And then 
uh, you know, different trades I did to be able to get the location shots. Part of it was shot in, in the recording studio, in the rehearsal studio that we had, and then a few people's houses and things. But I sort of cobbled it all together, and no one would believe that I was able to get that kind of a quality at that time, you know, because we didn't have iPhones at that time. And to be able to pull it off, you know, for, for that price. But I was just more interested in getting that art out there. And a lot of people at that time, uh, Weird Al was coming up too. So it was almost like, am I competing with Weird Al? You know, what, which direction am, am I going to go with this? And then, you know, like John Lennon says, uh, life is what happens to you when you're making other plans. So, you know, different things happen in life and, and you, you sort of go off of one thing. But that's why I'm so thankful to you for feeling that my music is still relevant. And I've written a lot of songs. At one point, too, I was contacted and I spent a weekend with George Michael and Jazz Summer. And they were, you know, wanted me to pen a few songs for, you know, mm-hmm. for for George and to see how that worked. And and the f- ironic thing about that is that I be- ended up becoming really close friends. And he, he lived with me for a while. Um, one of his bandmates, uh, Dion Estes, who I really adored. So as far as that time in Hollywood, uh, a lot of people all knew each other. I was very blessed to have that lived the end of that whole heavy metal era. It really was, you know, yeah. uh, that time when when one band would be with one person, you know, you'd be like Black as, Blackie Lawless and then Chris Holmes would be playing with Motley Crue and then Motley Crue. I, I lived with Tommy Lee for a while. I was with him when he, for, when he first dated, uh, when he first met Heather Locklear. I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was one of these times in Hollywood, which were, was a magical time. It seemed we never had a real job, but we always had money, and somehow we were always able to make things happen. And the music is, I think, is what carried us through. And there was a lot of help, too. We all sort of looked out for each other. So it wasn't so much of a competition at that time. It was more of a cooperative because you had to cooperate with everyone. Otherwise, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be able to do what you wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. So of all the things that I've told you, is there anything you'd like me to elaborate on? <laughs> well, you thrown a lot at us. I told you it'd be a lot of un- a presents to unpack. And I got yeah, more. No kidding. <laughs> I think archaeologists are gonna go through this interview in a few <laughs> years' time and try to piece all this together. Uh, but yeah, um, <clears throat> So you talked well, about. Be, go ahead. But uh, yeah, you talked about how the video came together, and I swear I never had any inkling of an idea that it was a shoestring affair. No, it never appeared that way to me. It looked like a high budget. I had assumed a record label had actually invested in it. You know, it looked like that uh, to me. Because that's what videos look like in 1986. It's just what they look like when yeah, they're freshly so, done. So, yeah, you definitely had that talent that you talked about. Yeah, no kidding. Um, um, that's why I'm surprised. But what was the vibe on set like? Was everyone just having a good time and enjoying it? Um, well, it was- uh, I tried to make it as diverse as I could. I tried to make it as fun as I could. But at that time, you're, you're, you know, I was a, you know, a hot kid making a video. <laughs> so I had... To fend off, you know, I, I, please, Crystal, don't take this the wrong way, but the girls were hitting on me, okay? And, like, you know, I'm trying to stay focused. I've never done a rock video before, and I really had to be focused. And maybe they thought that I wasn't being as kind. I never said a, a harsh word, but I didn't give them as much attention as they wanted at the time because I had to, to focus on what I was working on. And... um uh, the vibe on the set was everyone had their picadillo, so I ended up having to be, uh, you know, everyone and uh, every everything to everybody at the time, including a psychologist, getting in them what they want to make sure everyone was on the same page at least long enough so we can get some 
takes done and gets something usable on the film. And the funny thing too is here's another something, another little tri- fact of a uh, little trivia. The original two inch that I recorded I Hate Christmas from was a donation from Tom Petty from his live album. So I had some of Tom Petty's live, which I erased to do my I Hate Christmas EP on. So that was that two inch. Can you believe that? Then um, the actual film that I was getting, I was buying. Um, short rolls from the Kodak store on Santa Monica, which was the Kodak motion picture uh, film stock. And I was buying the the cheapo rolls, like remnant rolls, (laughs) to shoot on. And um, it's very, you know, even on a 16 millimeter, it was very expensive. And then the other thing, too, was that... um, I liked I liked the vibe on it. Everyone was really excited about being involved, and it was a, a group effort. So everybody showed up, and I made sure that everybody had libation, and I made the sandwiches so there was you know on the set so it was also craft services. You know? <laughs> so, so basically, if there were credits for this video, you would have pretty much everything. Is what I, yeah. Oh well, no. I'm. I got. I've got to share it with Jamie Sutton and with uh, uh, my friend. Uh, excuse me, Gary Ashton, and uh, th- that's the the three of us basically put this this together, but with help from from everyone. So everyone from uh, Stuart Gordon Enterprise Enterprises, they are the ones that. Uh, gave me a couple of days grace on returning some equipment and a lighting package. Uh, sometimes things would take a little bit longer than I wanted to. And then, you know, the help with being able to use uh, uh, sound sync equipment and booth, booth spots. But it's, you know, it's funny because I, I met a lot of different fantastic people through this and I appreciate all of their help in making I hate Christmas a success limited cult. Yes. But in my heart <laughs> and in their hearts, it was a success. Well, we're members yeah. of the cult. So <laughs> thank you very yeah. much for appreciating it. Also, I wanted to let you know that um, you heard that Mick Jagger hates the song. Yeah. Well, Get somebody who really loves the song was when the record release party happened for the Whiplash album and I Hate Christmas that was held at the Hollywood Marquee, which was in West Hollywood. It's called the W Hotel now. But in attendance for that was ACDC and Bruce Springsteen. I met Bruce Springsteen years before that, but he was there for it. And ACDC said it was their favorite Christmas song at that time. And they loved <laughs> maybe it. Maybe it had a role in inspiring Mistress for Christmas then. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Ooh, interesting. So, <laughs> so there's a there's an interesting isn't that an interesting weave of how this this song is sort of finds a new life every few years and goes on and on. And I'm glad I was able to shed a little bit of light on this mystery of who I am, who the people and players were involved in this. And um, yeah, it was really, really something, you know, to try and put this together. And I'll, I'll tell you something. This was the, the winter of 85. And I went back up to with the rough edit up to Canada and I remember flying in and it was going to go to a party. I, I, I took a, a cab into town, into Vancouver, and it was a night of a snowstorm. And I remember walking in the snow and I had the cassette and I had some headphones and I was listening to, you know, the, the EP. And I was going, you know what? I wonder what this is going to sound like in 20, 30, 40 years from now. And man, it still sounds great. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, it, it held up very well. Oh, yeah. Um, so we were talking about some of the other players in the video. Who are the other band members in it with you? Uh, that was Jamie, Jamie Sutton and Lewis McCorkle. Now, Lewis was playing with another band, and Jamie Sutton, he was also a, a uh, engineer, studio engineer, 
and he actually worked on Appetite for Destruction, uh-huh. and he worked at Red Zone and Take One Studios. And be, um, be, before he went to Take One, which I did a little recording at too, to finish it up, we he had his own studio called Sutton Place Recording Studio. Now, it's hard mm-hmm. to find Jamie. I've tried to find him for years, and I don't know where he is or what happened to him. And if anybody out there knows Jamie Sutton, fabulous guitar player, fabulous engineer, fabulous arrangements, he's the guy that I'd love to be able to hook up with again. And, um, you know, I, God bless him. He was fantastic with me. And he saw the vision. And we tried to do everything in short takes. The thing is that when you have when you have a limited budget for doing an actual EP and a video, you've got to make one takes work, you know? So one, two, maybe three takes at the max. So you have to really be on the money and you have to really have an engineer who can, who who can sort of coach you through it. And Jamie was really good, but you know, he had a lot of experience putting together different um, uh, recordings for different bands. He's a real master on the, on the mixing board. Jamie Sutton. Okay. Um, yeah. If any of you out there know what happened or became of him, please let us know. We will or, pass it on. Yeah, or, or Lewis McCorkle. And then, you know, um, I was thinking of reaching out to, to Tracy Guns and seeing if he had any of the, the, the cassettes as well. That would be, you know, interesting to see if he has it. And he had a, a quite the interesting career. And uh, I haven't heard anything lately from him. But, you know, as time goes by, different people sort of go off into their different lives and have different lives. And uh, sometimes we revisit it at, at, at times. And sometimes it's hard to, to get in, in touch with people. So, you know, time marches on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm glad that no. you guys love, love the, 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 the song. It really blows my mind. I did re-release it just to let you know. It's on uh, available on Spotify. It's under Patience. You are next, and it's a single. I hate Christmas, and I remastered it and sweetened it up a little bit. Yeah, the remaster sounds great. By the way, I wanted to say that. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually at the the bottom of our list. <laughs> so our last was about the re-release. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, but after the video was completed, you said it was it aired in Canada. A fair amount. Did it right. get aired in the United States? Um, you know, I it was never that I know of aired on in the United States. And I don't know if you're familiar with Doctor Demento. Doctor Demento yes. had oh, yeah. had a couple of of the had the two or three of the 45s. I went to to a studio to the to the um, actual radio station. And dropped him off there. I dropped him some off at K Rock, and I believe that he played it one time. Now, the other funny thing is that when Motley Crue was opening for Kiss at the Fabulous Forum in Los Angeles, where the Clippers are building their next to where the Clippers are building their new stadium, um, I would go. I would go with them, and they would play before. There before they would take the stage during the holiday season when they were on tour with Kiss, they would play I Hate Christmas, which was great. So I had my yeah. moment of the stadium, you know, hearing my, my song being played to, you know, 10,000, 15,000 people, you know. That's awesome. And I have done, like, you know, during that time, I remember once up in Canada, somebody tracked me down and I did a radio interview for somewhere in Detroit and somewhere up uh, in the eastern seaboard uh, in New England, somewhere, maybe Maine or possibly Boston. And uh, Mm -hmm. a couple of different radio stations wanted to know what I was going to come up with next. And the thing about this is, is that this is the hardest part for artists. If you don't have uh, an infrastructure, it's real hard for you because you'll be able to possibly put one thing out, but to do multiples, you have to have a lot of money. But to have money, you got to work. And, you know, it's sort of that, you know, chicken and egg routine that you have to play. And that sort of holds back a lot of great talent. But 
you know, as things have gone in my life, I've been very blessed. I'm very, very happy. And I love I Hate Christmas. And it'd be nice to see the rest of the songs come out because if you liked I Hate Christmas, you'd really like uh, Naughty Little Angel. It's got a real cool vibe on it. Yeah, that um, sounds like one I'd love. Yeah, and then Christmas in July is great too. And uh, yeah, so, is there any hope or any plan to release those, or is it even possible? Well, this is the thing. All of my two inch was stolen. You know, this is oh. Los Angeles, and that was another thing. A lot of my work, and almost all of it, and my songs, everything else was stolen. And th- this is just the reality of living in in Los Angeles is that sometimes things like that happen. And, uh, um, yeah, it was, yeah, you know, I, I, pardon me. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in New Orleans, Orleans, so we can so. relate. You can, yeah, you could probably relate. Well, that's the funny thing is somebody would take something and not really know what it was. Maybe they thought it was valuable or it got lost yeah. somewhere over the years, but it was really valuable to me. And if I really had my head together, I would have taken that two inch and put it into a vault or into a safety deposit box. But, you know, you know, as a young guy doing his thing before, you know, and trying to do things with limited resources and devoting time to the music and trying to put together, you know, a living, it makes it difficult for the extras. So, for the extra hundred dollars a uh, a year or whatever, at that time yeah. I should have put it into a safety deposit box. I did not. Bad on me. But you know, uh, at least it lived on. The re-recording you were you mentioning about the remix on the I Hate Christmas that I just re-released. That was, believe it or not, I took I I got a copy of a two inch of the video. It's the a, a dupe copy off of the original that MTV in in Canada has, they made a disc for me, sent it down, and I lifted it off and separated it off the disc. Now that's a trick. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and you know, you talk about how hard it is for, me, for musicians, and we know several local musicians who oh, have yeah. tried to to do, and they always talk about how hard it is to do those those extra copies and the extra songs, so I understand completely where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, that. well, I remember very, very, very vividly when I was doing sound sync to make sure my sound was because I was using a Nagramichi while I was doing this, so that the the film would would sync up. That's a very important part of when you're shooting a video, so that the timing yeah. is perfect with the audio and and your lip syncing to the to the the music. When I was in that studio, the guy says, this is fantastic. Do you have another one? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I'm exhausted from doing this thing, right? It's cold. It's Christmas. I'm alone. It's L.A. And this guy is saying, do you do another one? (laughs) (laughs) My car just got crashed. I'm taking the bus. (laughs) That that is the way creatives typically are treated, though. That's not an uncommon story in a lot of different fields. No. I think every author can relate to that too. And artist, and artist, and and filmmaker, Anytime. and musician. Yeah, it's it's just. Hey, this is great. Where's the when's the next one coming? Is always yeah. the, the follow up question. Right. Oh, <laughs> well, you know that's the, that, and that's the thing. This is where the crossroads comes to you because at that point it's like, okay, do you sell your soul to the record company, or or do you go ahead and do your thing? And I was open to doing something, but I never sold my publishing. I never did anything. I still own the rights to the song, but that's okay because. At this point, it's not about the money. Once you get the money was needed to do the art. But once you get more mature as you grow, you see that, hey, you did that art and it was great and let it go. That's a child that went and left the nest and is flying and people are enjoying it. And that's the way every true artist looks at their music. And that's something when I was living in in Laurel Canyon, that whole vibe in that canyon, all the way from the doors 
and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and all the people that mm-hmm. hung out in that area, they all had that same vibe. So it wasn't so much about the money. The money was just a way to be able to continue producing something that uplifted somebody or touched someone in a special way and made their lives better. Yeah. Well, it definitely has made our lives better. It has definitely made people Thank, made thank part you of so our much. Culture. I'm humbled. I'm, thank you. I uh, thank you very much. <laughs> we are we are spreading it as far as we can, preaching the gospel of George Patience. Yeah. Thank um, you very much. It needs to be heard, and I and, and hearing how it came about, and hearing the story of it, it's a endlessly fascinating. But seeing yeah. it was such a labor of love. Just yeah, it's a lot of mind. a lot of stuff there, and and uh, and I was, you know, when I when you get covered, when a song of yours gets covered, I go, wow, that's fantastic, you know, I've made it. <laughs> Something like my yeah. song enough to be able to do it again. And then the other thing is that there's a third there's a third I Hate Christmas video that somebody pieced together using the Whiplash audio. And then put together, and this is from Germany or Europe or something, where they put together a really cool little video with some stills, stills and stuff that they stuck together. So <laughs> I'm so, going to find the Whiplash version. I've not actually heard that one. I don't no. You. No, we, and it's kind of weird. We only ran across your song, I'd say, like at the start of the pandemic. It was like yeah, it was a few years ago, three, four years ago now. And I don't know how we missed it because we've been doing this list every year for 23 years. Yeah. Well, pretty much. Yeah, it's kind of weird because when I when I when I asked Melody Cooper, a friend of mine, to throw it up on her account when on on her YouTube account, just to throw it up because I had it and I thought, okay, we might as well throw it up there, um, see what happens, and the 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 algorithm would would sort of give it to some people, I guess, or it was first starting out, but the numbers on it on their counter changes. So it was once 65,000, then it went down to 20,000. Now it's at 40,000. So it was bouncing around. So I don't believe that the accounting by Google Incorporated um, is completely uh, accurate. But nonetheless, um, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that it was out there. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to? I'm glad we discovered it, and I'm glad it's become a part of our annual holiday traditions, and I think it's going to stay there for a very, very, very long time. Well, Well, between you and me, I would like to see it sort of evolve into possibly something a little bit deeper, and I wouldn't be surprised if in the near future it might end up as a soundtrack on a film uh for a certain scene or it could even evolve into an i hate christmas um film for television possibly for cable for for something on that netflix would do for streaming where we take that original character and uh the character who's who's sort of hating christmas who's running around town pushing this shopping cart and goes into this whole dream state and there's a whole story behind it now at the end of the video i guess you guys have noticed this here's a couple of other things i'm going to give you a couple of easter eggs the um dog's name is shadow at the end of the video and that was jamie sutton's dog and the dog whimpering that's me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did the VO on that one. And then um, if you check the, the, the wrapping paper, the wrapping paper says, I um, Merry Christmas on it. So it's sort of a happy ending. And all of that was a wild dream that I was having during that video. So it was almost like a dream sequence. I did the first opening graphic before the old Lang Syne intro, I did that computer graphic at the same on the same machine that did the Olympics opening sequence. And I <laughs> traded time 
to soundproof a recording room for him and put up the soundproofing panels to get the few hours to be able to do the snowflakes falling and that little bit of a computer, you know, com- computer graphic blip. Now that was a sort of like a big deal to do that back in 1986. Oh yeah. 86. Oh yeah. Yeah. Completely a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. In 86. I mean, people forget what it was like. I I actually finished it in 85, but I branded it 86 because it was right coming up to Christmas 85. I wasn't going to be able to get much traction. And so I put the date to keep it fresh in 1986. But at this point, it doesn't matter what the date was. Everybody, you know, finds it and it's new to them that that time when they find it. And um, it's it's funny that you didn't see see it on top of the list, because usually on the thumbnails, the I hate Christmas would come up. But with my spelling, sometimes maybe that's why you didn't you weren't able to find it. And then I think another thing is. I've got a lot of lag between the time the the first frame comes up and the video starts. So that black area may throw people off. And then, you know, sometimes with the, you know, you, you don't. Yeah, and, you, and, go ahead. And that's another reason the, re, the remake is so great is because it doesn't have any lag at all. I've noticed that it just jumps right in. It's perfect. <laughs> Right. And, you know, that uh, opening drum, drum sequence, is, is, it sort of sticks with you. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can just, that's almost rhythmic. You can almost uh, uh, meditate to that. <laughs> well, George, it has been wonderful. We're actually at time, but it has been wonderful getting to talk to you, getting to know about the history of this song and your history as a performer. I, I, there is, there, like I said, historians will be parsing this episode. I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah. Have well, a there's, feeling. The, yeah, there's a lot of crossroads there. There's a lot of stuff there, and, and there's a lot of more of the web to, to pull on. And hopefully, your, your listeners will be able to go ahead and, and put the rest of the puzzle together. And let's see if we can find the missing pieces of the I Hate Christmas EP. And if you see the cassette, <laughs> That was a, a picture of Santa Claus getting attacked by a pit bull <laughs> on the front. Okay, so it's really cool in a sto- in a snowstorm, <laughs> and that was me in a Santa suit with an actual uh, livid, angry pit bull, a really big oh, one. No. So that's on the cover, and then it's got me a picture of me on the back, you know, almost looking with a with a light behind me. Uh, with the, you know my my hair being teased up, and uh, uh-huh. I got, it's almost got a uh, an Alice Cooperish kind of vibe to that picture of me on the back. But if anybody can find that cassette, I'll give him a thousand dollars. I'll give you I, I'll, and and if that somebody could find the the uh, forty five, I'll sign it for them. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. On that note, everyone, thank you again, George. Thank you again, listeners. Um, you can check out more Haunt Weekly. We're at hauntweekly.com, Haunt Weekly on Twitter, Haunt Weekly on Facebook, and Haunt Weekly on YouTube. Um, also, keep an eye on the Facebook page. We'll be announcing more live recordings, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. But until next time, I'm Jonathan. I'm Crystal. And we will see you all next week.